Good evening. Great to see you. Hope you're having a good time. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here. Um, got a fantastic passage to preach on tonight. Um, really looking forward to you opening it up with us uh, this evening. You okay, Harry? How many, how many beanbags does a man need? Two. Okay. I just wondered. I've, I've never, you know. Anyway. Hope you're all well. Let's pray, perhaps. I don't know about you, if you've come tonight jaded at the end of a weekend, and, and to be honest, listening to me is not high on your agenda of things to do. But I, I wonder whether the Lord might want to speak to us tonight and challenge us and, and change us. And, and if you're up for that, I would just want you to put your hand on your heart as we pray. I really want God to speak to me as I speak to you. Father, I pray tonight you change us. Give us a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. So we might be different people who catch something of your heart for the world that we live in. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us, we pray. Speak to us, we ask. In the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Amen. I want to start tonight with a clip from one of my favourite films, um, Shrek 2. I don't know if anyone's, anyone here not seen Shrek 2? Okay, there are some people who have not seen Shrek 2. Let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, Shrek and Fiona, who we know are green ogres, have just got married and are summoned by Fiona's parents, the king and queen of far, far away, to a royal ball in celebration of their wedding. And Shrek most definitely does not want to go. So let's, hopefully the clip will appear. Great. Sure. See, this is why nobody likes ogres. ogres. All right, you're lost. All right, you're lost. I'm going to just stop talking. Finally. But this is taking forever. Shrek, it ain't no in-flight movie or nothing. The kingdom of far, far away, donkey, that's where we're going. Far, far away. All right, all right, I get it. I'm just so darn bored. Well, find a way to entertain yourself. (sighs) Sigh. <sighs> 
five minutes. Could you not be yourself for five minutes? Guys, go ahead. I'll pop the car. So, <laughs> you still think this was a good idea? Of course. Look, Mom and Dad look happy to see us. Who on earth are they? I think that's our little girl. That's not little. That's a really big problem. Wasn't she supposed to kiss Prince Charming and break the spell? Well, he's no Prince Charming, but they do look happy now. We came, we saw them. <laughs> Now let's go before they light the torches. <laughs> They're my parents. Hello, they locked you in a tower. Hey, that was for my own. Good. Now here's our chance. Let's go back inside and pretend we're not home. Harold, we have to be quick. While they're not looking, we can make a run for it. Shut! Stop it! Everything's gonna be a disaster. There is no way you can do this. But I really, really, really don't want to. Be yeah. Mom, Dad, I'd like you to meet my husband, Shrek. Well, um, it's easy to see where Fiona gets her good looks from. <laughs> uh -huh. 
Okay. I want to read our passage in a minute, but I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like an outsider anywhere? Where you're not included, where you don't fit in. For Shrek, as a a swamp-dwelling ogre, you know, he's comfortable in dirt and disgusting mess uh, with people that he kind of, well, on his own preferably, but now with Fiona. But, you know, maybe we know what it's like to be an outsider. Maybe we know what it's like to not feel as though we fit in. Maybe other people have made us feel that way, that we aren't included. We're not part of the in crowd. From an early age, we can have those experiences. Um, we might move to a new school and find it hard to make friends because we're not part of a certain group. Maybe we move to a new job and the culture of the workplace, we find it hard uh, to settle in. Um, maybe we appear confident on the outside as though everything is fine, I think that I'm in, but actually deep inside there's something about us. We think, I don't fit, I'm not part of this. And we relate to Shrek's experience, don't we, of not wanting to be somewhere that we are. And maybe for some of us that's here tonight, because actually where we feel uncomfortable and like we don't fit is in a church building or in uh, this kind of a service. So if you've got a Bible, I want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, verses 11 to 22. I'm going to read those to us. So Ephesians chapter 2. If you've not got a Bible, do grab one from the back. I won't mind if you run up and grab a donut on the way back. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And I'll read this to us. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders by birth. You were called the uncircumcised ones by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from God's people, Israel, and you did not know the promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you belong to Christ Jesus. Though you were once far away from God, now you have been brought near to him because of the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all turn the page. One people. He has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. By his death, he ended the whole system of Jewish law that excluded the Gentiles. His purpose was to make peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new person from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He has brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and to us Jews who were near. Now all of us, both Jews and Gentiles, may come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also joined together as part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You Gentiles are outsiders by birth, called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised. These Gentiles, Gentiles are non-Jewish believers. When Paul uh, is writing to the Ephesian church, there is a huge issue at that point, which is the clash between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, or some Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Because the Jews thought they're the promised people, the chosen ones of God, 
And Gentiles really are nothing, are no one, and they have want nothing to do with them. And Paul is speaking in this passage to this group of outsiders. Um, in fact, Paul says they were doubly alienated, if you like. Not only are they alienated from God and separate from him because of uh, they had no idea who he was, but they were cut off and alienated from the people of God, which meant they had no understanding of God's purpose and plan for them, for their future, for their inheritance. They were left in the darkness without God and without hope. What a terrible place to be. These Gentiles, according to Paul, were, were so far removed from where God was because they weren't connected into him or to his people. And one of the main reasons that this group of people uh, were in this position was that the people of Israel had forgotten their vocation to be the light to the world, to be God's ambassadors and, and a group of them had, you know, the Jewish people so took that calling to be God's chosen people, his covenant people, that they twisted this privilege and turned it into favoritism. They turned it into something uh, so much more than it was. Uh, that led to a hatred of those who weren't Jewish. Not just a kind of superiority, but a hatred so much so that, that for some Jewish writers at the time, they wouldn't even help a Gentile woman giving birth in her time of need because it would bring another Gentile into the world. Can you imagine the level of division and hatred that, that existed between some? And this hatred was being translated into the early church. Jewish believers, Jewish uh, people were becoming followers of Christ and they were bringing with them some of those prejudices. Now for us, when we come to faith in Christ, we might think, well, I come to faith in Jesus and everything about me is changed for the good. And we know that isn't true. We know that by looking at our own lives. It's the beginning of something wonderful. But these believers, these Jewish Christians were bringing this into the church. Uh, they didn't think the Gentiles should be welcome at all in any circum- under any circumstance. And they had no plans to change their mind about that. Paul would have felt the same way. Paul was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee when it came to the law. He absolutely uh, belonged to this group. And he'd done such a turnaround. God had changed him so much that now he was the apostle, the sent one uh, to the Gentiles. So verses 11 and 12 talks about how those Gentiles are outsiders. Do we know that feeling of being an outsider? Do we know and understand what it's like to be persecuted by others? Or are we on the end, are we the person who's putting someone else on the end of that exclusion? Are there groups of people that we might feel the same about? Maybe not to the same extent, but we look down upon them. We judge them. They're not good enough to be with us. Paul says to these Gentiles, these Gentiles, this is where you were. Actually, earlier in chapter 2, he says that of all humanity. He says that the whole of the human race, once you were dead, once you were so far from God, alienated from him. But he's saying to these Gentiles, the ones that are called outsiders, he's saying, you are so far from God because the people of Israel hadn't done their job. I, Paul is saying, really, hadn't done my job. Hadn't been the light of the world to you. But there's such good news for you. If you know what it's like to be an outsider, there's good news for you. Because we live in a world of alienation and hostility. This kind of enmity, if you like, between the Jews and the Gentiles that Paul is talking about, we see it in our world today. It's no different. 
We see it between gangs, different racial groups, neighbours, rich and poor, within families. We see hatred, hostility and division all around us, wherever we are. You know, we're made to be connected to one another deeply and intimately. We're not made to have a wall of hostility between us and other people. This huge divide between Jews and Gentiles was a divide that God intended to bring together through Jesus' death on the cross. This passage is centred in on the cross of Christ. When it comes to re- um, reconciliation and, and, uh, and bringing people together, the cross of Christ stands at the centre. Paul wants this group of outsiders, those who are far away from God, those who've been doubly alienated from God and from his people, um, even though they were far from God, in verse 13 he says this, but now you belong to Christ Jesus. You who could never imagine being connected with God belong to Christ. Why? Because of his death on the cross, because of his blood shed for you. But not only are these Gentiles now reconciled with God, is that Paul is at pains to say that Jesus has dealt with this wall of hostility. Now why does he choose the image of a wall? Well we know through history there have been various walls that symbolise hatred. The Berlin Wall came down in 1990, symbolised the separation between the East and the West. Hadrian's Wall was a wall built by the Romans for safety to keep the northerners, the, the pit of Scots, out of, um, out of England. Walls symbolise something divisive, but I think Paul's saying something more. For Paul, the temple was a central image of, of his teaching and talking about what Jesus has done. The temple in Jerusalem, I want you to imagine, was built on an elevated platform. It's up on a hill. And it had three courts on the top of the hill. In the inner court was the court for the priests, the holy, the holy place. Only people who were qualified from the tribe of Levi were allowed in. The second court was for, for the Israelite men. That was the next kind of inner court, if you like. And finally, there was a court for the Israelite women. These courts were on the same level as the temple. They were kind of there together. It, you were close to God and his presence. But from that, those three courts, you'd walk down some steps through a walled platform beyond which was the court for the Gentiles. It was spacious, it ran around the temple, there was lots of room. Um, Gentiles could stand there and see the temple. They could see where God was, but there is no way they could get to God. On this wall were signs that said, in effect, trespassers will be executed. We know from the life of Paul, he nearly himself got got executed for taking a Gentile into the temple. And Paul takes this image of division in the temple, this wall, and states unequivocally that Jesus has demolished the wall. Jesus in his life talked about tearing down the temple and rebuilding it in three days. The image of tearing down the temple is tearing down the barriers that exist, the man-made barriers that exist between us and God. Remember the story, um, in the last week of Jesus' life, he arrives in Jerusalem. And one of the first things he does, he goes into the, t- into the temple And he drives out the sellers and the salesmen. Remember that story? Where's he driving the sellers and the salesmen from? He's not in the Holy of Holies. He's not in the the court for the priests. He's not in the court for the men. Not in the court for the women. He's in the court for the Gentiles. Why was he so mad? Was it just because they were selling stuff? I don't think it was. I think it's because the Jewish salesmen had taken over the court of the Gentiles because they didn't want any Gentiles there. 
And that drove Jesus mad. Why? Because he came to die for the whole of humanity. He came to make a point that all are welcome. Do you know what it's like to be excluded? To be left out? The Jewish race, such a small group of people, they wanted to keep God for themselves. And Jesus drove them out of the court for the outsiders. Why? Because it's for them. God is for the outsider. God is for the excluded. God is for the marginalized. God calls all to himself. So if Jesus demolished this wall, and figuratively you imagine the temple, now there's no barrier for Gentiles to get to God. They're able to get there. If Jesus demolished this wall, it no longer exists. But how does that work? What does that mean? And Paul here gives us, uh, kind of talks us through what happens. Uh, So in verse 15, Paul says this. By his death, he ended the whole system of Jewish law that excluded the Gentiles. And the law that Paul's talking about here is the ceremonial law. It's the law of circumcision, of ritual, of worship, that Jesus has done away with it on the cross. We no longer need to be circumcised. We no longer need to perform an outward sacrifice or a ritual to show that we're right with God because only a certain group of people could do that. Everyone is welcome to come. All can come uh, to God because of what Jesus has done. We can come just as we are. We don't need to be religious to put on a front. We come to God just as we are. The second thing um, that Paul says is this, his purpose was to make peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one person from two groups. It wasn't like, well, we're never going to get them together, so we'll have a Gentile church over here and a Jewish church over here and hope they don't kill each other before the second coming. That's never his intention. His intention is we will be together. If you walk into churches, it's the one place where we should meet people of every walk of life. It's the one place where you should have a criminal sat next to a judge. It's the one place where you should have a prostitute sat next to a mother. Why? Because that's God's intention for humanity, that we are one people. And God will not settle for anything less. He won't settle for a divided church. He won't settle for people being excluded. He sent his son to die that that wouldn't happen. He sent his son to die to to begin this new humanity where all are welcome, where no one is excluded. Verse 16, Paul says this, Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups, these Jews and these Gentiles, separated by hatred and hostility, by um, both groups to God, by means of his death, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Everyone needs Jesus. There isn't a single person here who doesn't need Jesus. Who doesn't need what he's done on the cross for us. Paul, again, earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, and it's wonderful to read because earlier in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, Paul takes a similar pattern. He says, this is where you were. This is what Christ has done. And this is what he accomplished. And again, verse 11 to 22, he says, this is where you were, Gentiles, you were outsiders. This is what Christ has done for you. And this is what you are. Where were we? We were dead in our sins. We were far from God. We were able to do nothing to help ourselves. And Paul says, but God so loved us. His heart for us, when we were outsiders, when we were well away from him, was to come in, in the person of his son, to die on a cross for our sins. While we were dead in our sins, Paul says, Christ died for us. Why? 
Why would he die for us? Why would he give his life for us? What was so desperately broken within us? Well, firstly, we're, we're polluted by sin, the stuff that we do, the actions that we make, the decisions that we take. We need his forgiveness. We need freedom from guilt and shame. We need it. We're not made to hold it. But we can't do it ourselves. We were never meant to be trapped in a cage of bad decisions. We were never meant to be held back because of our bad choices, because of the the, the circumstances of life that have come upon us. Jesus died that we might know freedom. Paul says in Galatians, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. We need forgiveness. We need freedom. And finally, we need to know that we're friends with God once more, brought near to him. Jesus preached peace, verse 17 tells us, and he demonstrated it. He demonstrated that we are right with God. God is not mad at you. Sometimes a popular theme of preachers that God's just really angry, looking to catch you out, looking to slam you down at every opportunity. God is not mad at you. He's a father looking for a lost child, waiting for his son or daughter to come home. He has a message of peace. He doesn't want us to be an enemy of his, but a close, intimate part of his family. Do you know that exclusion tonight? Do you feel like you're not fitting? God is speaking to you and saying, I want you part of my family. You know, if you were to give this message a title, I would hope it would be something like, how can we be a church without walls? How can we be a church that doesn't divide Jew from Gentile, man from woman? How can we be a church that doesn't limit our influence in the community? And to finish, Paul gives three images of what we are now. You know, we, this is what we were. We were outsiders, dead in our sins, far from God. And what Christ has done, he's at the center on his cross, has brought us back to him. But what does that mean? What does that actually uh, kind of translate to? Well, the first, Paul gives three images of what we are now. The first is this, in verse 19. So now, you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but citizens. You're part of the kingdom. So firstly, we're reconciled with God. We're in his kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. We're set free. We're forgiven. We're friends. We have hope and a future. We're not living in darkness anymore. We're reconciled with God. If you think about it in terms of walls in a church, the ceiling is taken off. Our relationship with God is restored. The second is this, is that we are his household or his family. Not only are we welcome into his kingdom to have a relationship with him, but we're reconciled with one another. We're brought into this place where we might feel we should be excluded. We shouldn't, we don't fit here. But God says, you're, if you're right with me, you're welcome. You're in the family. Where we were divided from others, we're now reconciled to them. God's plan was to create one people. So that's the dividing walls, the internal walls are not down. There's no division left. We are to be one people. And finally, the images of the temple. And Paul comes back to this image again. The temple was the place where God dwelt and lived. His glory was there. And it meant that if you wanted to meet with God, you went to the temple and did various rituals and and things and depended on priests and other people to mediate with God for you. And Paul is saying this, that we who believe are carefully joined together, verse 21, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. 
Through him, you Gentiles, the outsiders, temple and the outsiders, through him, you outsiders, you Gentiles, are joined together as part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The outside walls are taken down. God's spirit lives within us. A church without walls is that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We carry the presence of God wherever and wherever we go. So that means that we have a ministry of reconciliation. We're to bring people to God and people to one another. We have that ministry. So what does that actually look like? What does it mean to talk about a church without walls? A place where we connect with God and one another and where we go out to see that happen in the world. Well, firstly, it means that it's got to be a church without walls is a place where God is encountered. Not just in a gathered building, in a service, but wherever the people of God are. We leave this place and we're the church Monday to Saturday. Wherever we go, we are his body, his hands, his feet. A friend of mine uh, was at a party yesterday evening. A friend of mine got on a bus and was dressed smartly because he was speaking at an event in, in a cathedral in Bristol. And the guy just sat next to him and said, why are you so smart? My friend Rob just said, well, I'm going to speak at an event in the cathedral. And they got into a conversation about faith and about God. And this guy's coming to church with Rob today because it's not difficult to talk about God. People are looking for him. It's not hard. But we just have to put ourselves in that place and remember that we carry his presence with us. And wherever his presence is, people want to know him. So the first thing, the church without walls is a place where we encounter God. I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to rattle through these. The second thing is this, is the doors are always open and there's always space at the table. What do I mean like that? by that? I want us to look at the ministry of Jesus. Firstly, the doors are always open. We are to be people who seek and save the lost. Jesus, when he was with Zacchaeus, annoyed all the religious people because he spent time with a sinner. And what did he do? He invited himself for lunch and he went to his place. Jesus went to seek and save those who were lost. He spent his time with the outcasts, the losers, the defeated, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He challenged the rich and the influential, but always he welcomed everyone to himself. No one was excluded, but he would go out and look for those who were open to him. That's what we're to do. Go to bring the presence of God and the good news about Jesus to those we meet. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go, we take God with us. Secondly, we're to welcome the outsider. There's always space at the table. Jesus invited everyone to banquets, to parties, to eat with him. Pharisees and prostitutes. Tax collectors and the wealthy. All are invited. The kingdom of God, the image of the party, is the biggest image of the kingdom of God. All are invited. We're to extend an invitation to people. So what are we inviting people to? Well, we're to throw parties and invite people to join in our party. We're to party with God in all we do, to be celebratory people, thankful people, grateful people. But who are we to invite? We're to invite those who never get invited. Invite those who are lonely. You know, statistics say that there are things like 20% of people would love to come to church if only someone would invite them. That's one in five, friends. And, you know, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. But say it's one in six. You know six people at work? You know six people in your street? One of them. 
might want to come find Christ. I suspect that more would. Take the initiative. Invite people in. The doors are always open in a church without walls. And there's always space at the table. I would love to see this place filled with people. Not so I can tell my friends we have a full service. It's hard work for me, if I'm honest. It is. I had a pastor friend once who said that. He said, he doesn't mind when people leave because it's less work. I told him off. I might name him to get him in real trouble, but I won't. Um, but seriously, I want to see this place full. Full of people meeting Jesus. I hated church as a teenager. When I came into church, one of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life when I was 17, 18. I met Christ and it transformed me. I'm a different person because of it. There are loads of people like me. They might hate church, might tell you they hate God, but they hate him for a reason. And they want to tell people that reason. They want to open up and they want that hurt to go because it's not nice. And we carry the presence of God. We can bring healing and forgiveness and grace and mercy, kindness and love because we carry his presence with us. Seek and save the lost. Welcome the outsider. Finally, and I come into land with this, A church without walls is a place of reconciliation. We cannot escape it in the gospel. We're reconciled to God where the relationship is broken down and we are reconciled to one another. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love your neighbor and love God. Love God and love your neighbor. You cannot separate the two. These are big deals. Forgiveness and reconciliation. I can't even do it justice in the time I've got left. Couldn't even try. But the church is called, we are called to get dirty and get stuck in with the mess in this world. We see it in Northern Ireland, the church at the front line. Some would say the church causing the issues, but I know the church is at the front line in trying to bring reconciliation. South Africa, other places around the world where there's separation and hatred. Forgiveness is a currency that Christians deal with. We receive that huge forgiveness from God and we're to forgive others. A process, it takes time and it's hard. But we're called to be a people of reconciliation. So what's Paul saying? He's saying if you're an outsider, Jesus died that you would be an insider. And not just that, that he died that you might be his temple, part of his people who bring the presence of God to all those who feel like they're outsiders, all those who feel like they're excluded. And how do we do it? We seek and save the lost. We take the initiative. We welcome in the outsider and we preach a message of reconciliation, of hope and love and grace. If that is not something worth giving ourselves for completely, I don't know what it is. Can I advise to stand?